everyone. Welcome to RUF. Uh, if I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Sammy, and I'm the campus minister here. Um, and we're really glad you're here for the first RUF of the fall. Um, let me tell you just a little bit about what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, there we go. Um, we're doing like a mini-series before our semester series, and the mini-series we're doing for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about we might have an alternate plan for Labor Day. But for the next three large groups, we're doing a series called The Questions of College. And what I hope to do, what I aim to do, is meet you in what I think are some really formative big questions that I think are, um, that we feel, that you might feel, uh, in this time of life. And tonight, the way we're gonna do it is we're gonna start tonight with identity. Then we're gonna, like that idea of who am I? College really shakes that up. Uh, community, who cares about me? Who are my friends? Who loves me? And then we're gonna wrap up with authority. Uh, who has the right to tell me what to do? But tonight we're talking about identity. And it's that question of, if I were to ask you, and I, I promise I wouldn't do this, partly because I hate small talk, um, partly because it's just a huge question. But the question is, who are you? How would you answer that question? Let me read our, our passage of scripture for tonight, and then I'll pray for us. Then we're going to jump in. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, we're going to look at just a short passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, just verses 27 to 29. Here's what Paul really is reminding these Galatians of who they are in Christ. Here's what he says. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let me pray for us. And I just want to dig in, dive in for a little while together tonight, thinking about our identity. Let's pray first. Our Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves to wonder what it is that you are like, who it is that you are, what it is that you have done for us, Lord Jesus, in your life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, you've not left us to ourselves to be clueless about who we are as those made in your image as those who have marred that image in our sin, as those for whom you came and lived and died and rose again for us, that we might be delivered from our sins, as those who have, as Paul says here, um, the riches of your grace that we have tasted, those of us who know you and have trusted in you, in what's to come in our life with you eternally. So Lord, I pray that, uh, I thank you that you are a God who meets us in our questions. Our questions do not make you anxious. But Lord, you love to reason with us, to tell us who you are, to tell us what it is that you've done for us. And the good news, Lord Jesus, of your life, death, and resurrection. So we pray that you would meet us in that way, um, that you, you are with us, but would you make us mindful? Um, would you be at work in us? We pray these things. Christ, in your name. Amen. So, uh, I don't know if this is still a thing. Do you, are yearbooks, for the, fre the freshman can answer this, are senior yearbooks still a thing, or is it all digital now? Doesn't matter. I'm old enough where uh, the saddest 
quote that I've ever seen. Like when I was a senior in high school, you had to choose for our little high school, you had to choose a quote to go under your picture. And by far, my class, guy in my class, I'm not going to name his name, had the saddest quote in a senior yearbook that I've ever seen. And it was just, it was a Dave, uh, Dave Matthews Band quote, which don't let that, there's, there's some depressing Dave songs too. And the quote was simply, I wish I could have been anyone other than me. I wish I had been anyone other than me. I didn't know when my classmate was hearing that. But what he was talking about is identity. He was talking about, I don't love who I am. Um, what I want to do tonight is show you from Galatians what I think. Here's how we're going to do it. We've got three points. Here's how we're going to move through it. First, I want to just kind of name, what do I mean? What, what is it when we talk about identity? Second, what I want to do is talk about why it's hard, the struggle of it, why we, maybe like my classmate, feel that way about ourselves. I wish I was not the way I was or I'm struggling to be at peace with who I am. And then lastly, what I want to hopefully persuade you of is how Christianity really does answer and solve this question of identity in a really unique and beautiful way. So what is it? What are we talking about? Why is it hard for us? And then lastly, I think what's unique about the gospel? What's unique about how Jesus um, answers this question for us? Let's start just first quickly with what is it? What do we mean? What do I mean when I say identity? Uh, let me just quickly define it, what I'm, what I'm talking about tonight. And here's the best I've got. When I, when I say identity, and we're wrestling with that question, who am I? Here's what I mean. An identity is a settled and solid sense of purpose, of worth, and of self-understanding. Identity is a settled and solid sense of purpose, worth, and self-understanding. The way I want to talk about it is that idea, uh, this idea that comes from a guy, David Zoll, of enoughness. To feel comfortable in your own skin. To feel like you know who you are and you're okay with who you are, flaw, as Beyonce would say, flaws and all. Being comfortable in your own skin. And this is kind of what Paul is driving at with the Galatians, if you know that book at all. Part of what Paul is doing is he's saying, you have forgotten Galatians. You who have trusted in Christ. You who, have, who claim to be in Christ, to have been baptized into him and to belong to him, you've forgotten who you are. Instead of living with a settled sense of what Christ has done for you, we're going to get there in point three, instead of living from your identity, you've fallen back into living for it. You've fallen back into what we could call, uh, the way that Tim Keller talks about it, an achieved or performed identity versus what is provided for us in the gospel, which is a received identity. Christ's life, uh, he lived the life that I could never live, and he died the death that I deserve to die for my sin, that Jesus achieved that for me, and then trusting in him, he, he provides me with, I get adopted into the family of God, and I get his righteousness is now mine, and he, my sin is now forgiven because of what he's done, and it's a received, a newly received identity, and Paul is saying, you've forgotten it, you've fallen back into living for it instead of living from it. Uh, if you've been around here, you've probably heard me tell this story, but I think about myself in college. I went to USC, or I guess U of SC. No, that always throws me. And uh, my junior year, I had really struggled my freshman year, homesick, depression, bad dating relationship. Some of you can relate. Some of you don't know it yet. We'll talk. We'll grab coffee. Um, 
rushed a fraternity my sophomore year and just entering into my junior year, I went from sort of like what I would call in high school, became, became a Christian in high school, was the youth group kind of hero, that's too strong, not a key, like just all about youth group, into trying to figure myself out in college. And a lot of changes were happening, and there was this one moment, so my junior year, I'm living in the hall of our fraternity, and I'm like, I've changed the way I dress, like I went from being a, a Vans kind of skater wannabe to like a frat guy with the wallabies, which I don't know if those are still a thing, with the polos, but you know, like my external appearance has changed. This is when Abercrombie and Fitch was huge. And the way it went was an Abercrombie and Fitch recruiter had come to campus and one of my fraternity brothers, one of my friends had like stumbled into him and he was recruiting him to come perhaps be a model for Abercrombie. And when I tell you, like, I just sunk in my spirit. Like, this is what I was trying to live for. <laughs> like, I had styled my hair up. Like, I wore Abercrombie through and through. And I was devastated that I was, like, not chosen. You know, there were a lot of reasons you could go into. Um, I had, well, <laughs> we don't have to go into all of it. But when I think about myself as a junior, I was wrestling with, who am I? And in some ways, I had completely forgotten the massiveness, the weightiness of what it meant to belong to Jesus. And in some ways, the simple way to say it is I was really chasing some of the things of the world. What is it? It's a solid and settled sense of purpose, worth, and self-understanding. It's the feeling of, I'm okay with myself. Um, enoughness. I feel enough. But we're moving into why it's hard. And it's hard because of what I've started to name. It's part of both external and internal pressures. This is the way that I like to think about it. Just roll, roll with me here. If you think about yourself, imagine yourself as an iceberg. Just roll with me. When you think about the tip of that iceberg, you're thinking about what, what we can see. The externals, let's call them, right? Uh, the tip of the iceberg of yourself and myself is the external is what we can see. How we dress, how we do our hair, what shoes we wear. We, we could add personality, all that stuff. As we move down to the middle part of the iceberg, we could, we could say what makes us who we are. We could talk about our experiences, the kind of family you grew up in, the, the kind of town you grew up in, uh, the, the ex your story, like how life has gone for you, good, bad, and ugly. And then I think, biblically, as we move further down, the most solid part of, of yourself as an iceberg, again, just roll with me, and I don't know why I'm doing this, but envision an iceberg. At, the, at the, the most solid base of the iceberg is what I want to call eternal realities. Meaning, if externals are how I want you to see me, how you want me to see you, experiences are maybe we connect over shared experiences, we grew up here, our parents got divorced, I had a breakup, etc. We, we have lots of ways to connect around that. Uh, how, in other words, if externals are how you see me or how I want you to see me, experiences are how I see myself and understand myself, and then what I want to call that bottom layer of the iceberg is this idea of how God sees me, what is true about me in his eyes. Um, and this is part of why it's hard, is you and I often strive and struggle to find our identity in the externals or in the experiences. 
and we struggle to live in a settled sense of purpose and worth and how God sees us and we can add and what he's done for us in his love in his son, Jesus. Um, look at this quote, this one in front of your uh, handout from David Zoll, who I mentioned earlier from Seculosity. Here's how he says it. He says it really well. Here's how he says it really along with me. He says, if our current cultural climate tells us anything, it's that the needs addressed by religion for hope, purpose, connection, justification, what he calls enoughness, haven't diminished as churches have become taprooms and theaters. The psychic energy hasn't evaporated. It can't. It has to go somewhere. With altars off the table, fresh targets have cropped up all over the place, from the kitchen to the gym to the computer screen to the bedroom. Righteousness, you might say, is running amok and breeding mercilessness wherever it goes. The objects of what he calls our seculosity, how we have this being made in God's image, we have to find some sense of purpose or worth somewhere. He says the objects of our seculosity, food, romance, education, children, technology, and so on, aren't somehow bad. Quite the opposite. They are, by and large, great. It's only when we lean on these things for enoughness or righteousness, when we co-opt them for our self-justification or make them arbiters of salvation itself, that they turn toxic and become a place that crucifies rather than forgives. Uh, here's the way I want to say it to you. All right, so flash forward to college campus. Uh, I've been with RUF going on 17 years. My first five years were at school in Statesboro, Georgia, called Georgia Southern. This was uh, late, mid to late 20, like 2006 to 2011. And this is, to my, this is when, for me, uh, I saw my first Eno. If you're familiar with Enos, uh, <laughs> if you know what Enos are, it's the uh, hammock, if you will, that at the time was like, I'd never seen a little hammock you could fold into a bag and just put up around campus. And so my students were showing me the first Eno I had seen, and they had set it up between these two trees. And you know, and Enos are super, super thin. I've always been a little bit of a bigger guy. And they're like, get in. I was like, I don't think so. Like, I'm not sure this thing is going to be able to hold me. They're like, no, 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 I promise. This thing can hold, like, you know, there were weight limits on the carabiners or whatever, but this thing can hold at least 500 pounds. I'm like, well, are you sure? And I climb in and have that first experience of just like, oh, okay, it does hold me in this beautiful cocoon of warmth and joy. <laughs> um, there's a guy, Dick Keyes, who wrote a book on identity, and I love the way he says it. He says, God alone can hold the weight of your identity. God alone can hold the weight, the full weight of what it means to be you. When I, when I talk about that iceberg, and it, it, you know, the eternal realities, God says in Ecclesiastes, if he has set eternity in our hearts. And we feel it. Which is why, like, even if I had been chosen to become, <laughs> it's always funny for me to think about, an Abercrombie, like, it's just not reality, an Abercrombie model, it wouldn't have been enough. Like, I hope, I, I have self-awareness to know that was never going to happen, okay? I just want you to know, I feel insecure that you need to know that that's not how I see myself. But you've got your, that, like, that at the time was my version, 
right? There was a season of my life where I literally was thinking about leaving ministry to get into stand-up comedy. And, like, there's a whole story there. And even if it had worked, it wouldn't have been enough. I love my wife. We had some dysfunctional dating times. Why? Because I tried to make her make me enough. This is what Paul is doing. It's fascinating. Right? When, in Galatians 3, when he says, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, we could talk about like, the Bible does not condone slavery. It acknowledges the reality. That's a different conversation for another time. Nor male or female. What's he doing? He's saying, your past, where you come from, it's not enough to hold the weight of your identity. What you do, what you've achieved, what you hope to achieve, it's not enough to bear the weight of your identity. Even how the realities of how you were born, how you're wired, working on all that stuff of yourself, it's not enough. God alone can hold and bear the weight of your identity. Your sexuality is not enough. Your gender is not enough. Your politics, not enough. Your personality, your whatever Enneagram, big Enneagram guy, not enough. Helps us understand, please hear me, really important. Paul's not saying, forget all those things, they don't matter. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there is a reality, both by being made in God's image and by the redemption that he has rested and slapped on Jesus, that alone can bear the weight of your identity. And that's the last thing I want you to see, is how Christianity, how the gospel, I think, solves, answers, however you want to say it, in a unique and beautiful way. I just want you to see two things. Here's the first. Is that the reality of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, it does it, it flips the iceberg. Does that make sense? Meaning, what's most important is that. And then flowing down what you've experienced, your story, and, and how you carry yourself with all that, like the realities of life practically in, your, in the externals but it flips it, where we begin to live from the realities and beauties of the gospel. And that begins to, to shape everything. It, it shapes the way I see my story. It shapes the way I relate to this world. And then secondly, and this is what I think is so beautifully unique to Christianity, it doesn't matter, male or female, Jew or Greek, whatever you do, whatever you've done, whatever you hope to achieve, you've received a new identity. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you've been, the, the language Paul uses is baptized into him. If you've put on Christ, it's a strange way to say it. The simplest way to understand it is you have trusted in what Jesus has done on your behalf. That's what we call justification. And through the power of his spirit, you are wanting imperfectly, slowly, but truly, to repent and follow him, to become more like him. But the identity that you've received in him is you are a beloved child of God. Here's the reality. I've been thinking about this a lot today. All the things that we are tempted to put our identity in, they betray us because either they're not lasting or they're not enough or there's really no security there. But think about what you've received Christ. All of your sins, 
past, present, future, have been forgiven because of his atoning work. All of the things that you hate about yourself, that you feel shame, like right now in this room, coming into a large group, the, the things that we hide from each other, the things that we don't want one another to know, especially in a Christian context, he knows. And they don't, for a second, make him flinch in his love for you. I love the way that Jack Hacker, he wrote this book called Knowing God. And he says, when God justified you, he justified you with eyes wide open, knowing every part of your life that brings you shame, knowing every sin that brings you shame. And he's at work in you to slowly, sometimes painfully, make you more like himself. And you have a future. Uh, so I've got four kids. Uh, my, oldest, my oldest daughter is a senior in high school, and sophomore son, freshman daughter, fifth grade daughter. And my son, is, he's, still, he's still in his rap phase, which is it's fine. I mean, we're just, you, you know, you pick your hills to die on as a parent. But, like, all he wants to listen to is rap, which is great. Like, I'm a, I have a, I'm a rap fan. But I think about, you know, 21 Savage bank account. When he says, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight M's in my bank account, M's in my bank account. Christian, what do you have in your bank account? Can I say it? I'm going to say it this way. Can I say it this way? I'm going to say it this way. It's much more vast than that. The riches that are yours in Christ Jesus is what Blackstone Paul says, heirs of the promise of what's coming for you in Jesus, what he is, the house and the work that Jesus that he is building for us. I'll close with this. Uh, recently, over the summer, I've been reading this book called A Little Life. And there is this, one of the most moving scenes I've read in a long time. The, the basic story is this four friends who meet in college, come from all kinds of different backgrounds, and it's really their story of friendship through college and after their professional life in New York. But the kind of the main character that bonds these friends is a character named Jude. Jude grew up in the foster care system. Uh, as you meet Jude in the book, and you, you begin to slowly learn just the abuse he experienced both in the church, but also uh, in the foster care system. Jude has developed, he's got this because of the abuse, uh, chronic pain issues where he's constantly getting, feeling like his legs kind of go out and he's paralyzed. He's got this intense struggle. He goes to law school and he's becoming a lawyer, uh, but he's got this intense struggle with cutting where uh, just he wears long sleeves all the time because he's just constantly, he's just constantly cutting. Um, and there's a scene in the book where one of his law professors who becomes like a father to him, he and his wife come to Jude in his late 20s and say, we want to adopt you. And it's beautiful because Jude gives all the like, are you sure? Like, this is weird. I'm an adult. And they're like, we are... We've never been clearer of anything in our lives. We want you to be our son. And there's this beautiful scene in the book where he finally gives in to them. They adopt him. They do the court scene. It's declared he's their son now. And they host this party. And there's this line in the book that I love where he's enjoying himself at this party. And he basically says to his friends, can I just for a moment enjoy what has happened to me? Can we just for a moment, this is the struggle of sanctification. If you are in Christ, can we just for a moment, 
even right now, enjoy what has happened for us and to us. That Jesus really did live the life you and I can't. That he really did die the death that we really do deserve. And that we really do belong to him. That's what has happened to us. And what I hope our young can be for you in college is a place not only to be reminded of who Jesus is to you and what he has done for you, but who you are in him, and to live from that place. Because I promise you it begins to change everything. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that um, we are never too much for you and that you are always enough for us. I pray that you would let us rest, rejoice, even tonight, for those who have known and tasted, as we heard in Psalm 34, that you are good. Would you remind us of who it is that we are in you? And Lord, I thank you for those who are here and they're not sure and who maybe are, um, they don't yet belong to you. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you meet us in our questions. I pray that you would do that in our midst tonight. Lord, we thank you for this chance to be together. We thank you for your goodness to us, your love for us, and we pray that you would let us rest in that tonight. We pray this thing for Christ in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song of rest.